Morning, everybody. Morning. Every now and then you get electronics, electronics messing up, just like people do. But to God be the glory. The song that they were singing, Let It Rain, is a call for God to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. And I tell you that the Holy Spirit is always present with the children of God. All we've got to do is just let Him have His way. Amen. Amen. And um, I'm so glad that the Spirit of the Lord is with us. What you're about to receive today from the book of Acts in chapter 17 is a sermon that will change the very course of all ministries. Because what happened here is that the Apostle Paul them wanted to go over into Asia to preach the gospel, which would have been modern day Turkey. And they would eventually end up going there because the book of Galatians is, Galatians is another name for a large region in western Turkey. And so they would go there eventually. But when they wanted to, the Holy Spirit prevented Paul them from going there. Paul is on his second missionary journey, and he got Silas, a, a great man of God, that's accompanying him. He has uh, Luke the physician, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, by the way, who wrote the book of Acts also. And at times you see language in this particular book where Luke will talk about Paul directly or he will insert, he say us, meaning that they had came back on board and was doing ministry together with Paul. Last week we seen that they were at a place called Philippi, which is one of the northern regional towns in Greece, there in Macedonia, and they encountered something that they had not encountered before, at least was written in scripture. They had encountered a Philippian girl, a woman, who had a spirit of divination in her. And she followed them around for many days, telling her, you know, these are the men of the Most High God who have the way of salvation. And she was speaking truth, but at the same time, she was simply doing it to harass them. And Paul, after being grieved in the spirit, said, come out of her in the name of Jesus, you unclean spirit. And the Bible tells you and I that that spirit came directly out of her. And of course, things got pretty nasty from there. And uh, Paul then was jailed you know, after being beaten. But now they're going south. They're going south to the capital of Greece. Now, why is it important to understand what's going on? They went to the south to Athens. Athens was the absolute hub of adultery. Not, not, a, not adultery as a man and a woman having a fail. Idolatry. In other words, false worship. And one thing that you should know about the Greeks, they were very ecstatic people, meaning that they enjoyed beautiful buildings. They enjoyed beautiful sculptures. They enjoyed everything, but they, they went this, the distance to make sure it was the best. Okay, and they erected all these temples throughout the city, and they had their gods in each one of these temples. The 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 Acropole was one place where they had the Temple of Zeus, and it was like five this huge rock formation, about five hundred feet tall, and they put this big old temple on top of it. And across from it, down below it, about three hundred fifty feet above the ground was another place called the Areopagus. That's where they actually would go and hold court. 
and question if anybody challenged Greek philosophy, it was there at that place, the Areopagus, is where they would hash it out. And eventually that's where Paul would end up at. And we're going to see from the scriptures also, um, Paul spent a little time in Athens by himself, walking around the city, observing. And as he was observing, the Holy Spirit was speaking to him because this is one of the probably the biggest stronghold in all the scripture for Satan. Athens was. And. As Paul is there looking, I mean, he's moved by the Holy Spirit. His heart is vexed. He's feeling really, really bad about this. This is the reason why the Holy Spirit told him not to go to Asia. And then he's seen that vision of the man saying, come over here to Macedonia. Well, the Holy Spirit set that vision up because he had a purpose. What was the purpose? You got to understand this also. In Exodus chapter 20, God talks about three things right away as he gave commandments to the children of Israel while they were still in the wilderness. The first commandment is what? Israel, you're to have the Lord your God is the only God for you. Okay? That was the, that was the first commandment. He said, for he is a jealous God. Second commandment, you are not to make anything, any graven images, no matter what it is. And call it a God. Okay? You're never to do that. And then the third thing he said, neither shall you bow down and worship them. So, know that there's only one God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Knowing that you should not make any images, whether it's out of rock, whether it's out of stone, or metal, or gold, or wood, whatever it is. You should not have a false god among you. Okay? And then you should not bow down and worship them. Period. Well, there were some Greeks. Not necessarily Greek, but Jews who lived in Athens. They lived among this. And can you imagine going to a city? And Michael, he's a truck driver, so he goes from place to place and he's visited a lot of cities. But can you imagine going to a city where the entire city is built around gods, false gods? That's something. And could you as a Christian would feel the demonic presence in that place. Because in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, the night in which God told Israel, he said, I'm going to come in. And I'm going, not only am I going to kill the firstborn of Egypt, he said, but I'm going to cast judgment against the gods of Egypt. What does that mean? He was going to the spirit world. And he was going to spank some butt in the spirit world. Okay? Now, but Paul, he's there. The Arapagus needs to be broken down for you to understand what does this mean. In Latin, it is translated to Mars Hill. Will you hear me? Mars Hill. But if you translate the, the Greek the way it is, it means it's the god of Eris. Eris was the son of Zeus, who, by the way, right behind him up on the big hill that I talked about, that 500 foot hill, where the big old temple of Zeus was, well, Zeus was supposed to be the high god of the gods. And Eris was his son. Are you getting this? 
And so he was down lower. The temple was down lower. And people, there was gods all throughout this city in which they could call upon. And to keep from offending this, these gods, they even had a stature that said to the unknown God. And that's the one that Paul will home in on. Because he would, here's the thing that, that, that about Greek philosopher. There was two class of Greek philosophers in that city. And you'll see it in the text here. We're getting ready to start here in a moment. And you, this is such a difficult passage. Unless you understand Greek philosophy and Greek mythology, it's very difficult to get Acts chapter 17. But Paul understood Greek philosophy. There was two groups of people, one called the Epicureans. Epicureans did not believe that was a creation God. Okay? They believe everything evolved from matter, uh, uh, atoms, the smallest, you know, existence of material. And they believe that those atoms existed eternally. They always have existed. And that's what every human comes from, those atoms, even the world itself. They knew gods exist, but they believed that the gods did not have any kind of influence over men at all. That's one class. The other class is called Stoics. Stoics believe that, yeah, there are gods, okay? And that we need to be giving heed to them. And another thing, let me back up for a moment. The Epicureans also believe because we were not made by God, the physical body didn't matter. What matter is that man had pleasure. Man lived his life of pleasure. And not necessary sexual pleasure or just eating pleasure. It was pleasure, period. And the highest pleasure came from philosophy. Awareness, the conscious, logic and reasoning. That's what they, they believed in. And that's why they spent most of their time trying to find out something new. Okay? So Paul was up against a very, very difficult culture. But God is greater than man. Amen? Amen. And Paul would later write, in his visit to the Corinthians, which is coming up in the next chapter, and he would write in the first book to them that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisest man. And you sit back and go, boy, does God have any foolishness? Absolutely not. I was <laughs> just saying that the elementary things of God is far superior than the things of men. Okay? So he's up against a very, very dogmatic doctrine, dogmatic belief system of false gods. And one thing that you notice in the text very carefully, and if you get if you get a little tired today, just kind of scratch. It's a very, very powerful teaching from the Lord. It's less preaching today and more teaching because you got to understand what this brother was up against. You are in a culture now that's almost similar to the culture that was in Greece, there in Athens. We're up against a dogmatic culture that tell us that if it feels good, do it. And it's very hard to minister to people who come up in a system that said, hey, ain't nothing wrong with this behavior, nothing wrong with this behavior, nothing wrong with this behavior, as long as you don't kill somebody. As long as you don't steal something from somebody. But when it comes to your personal life, 
and your own satisfaction and your personal pleasures, do whatever you want to. And you don't have to give an accountability to God. Okay? And it's very, very difficult to minister to people like that. That's why the Holy Spirit is greater than all of us. He knows how to minister to them. Amen? Amen. And so as we go through this, I'm going to try as much as the Holy Spirit gives me an ability to, to find some language here that needs to be broken down so that we can grab a hold of it. Is that all right? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your living word. And we ask you now, Lord Jesus, have your way with your children. Father, you told us through the prophet Hosea that your people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge in you. Father, it's just not enough to come and hear the word, but we must understand the word in order for us to adjust our lives that so that our lives will be pleasing to you and your son, Jesus. And Lord, we're asking now, help our country. We're in a state of confusion right now. There's a spirit of separatism that's going throughout our land. The Lord, as the children sing that song, that they will know that we're Christians by our love. That's what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be out there advocating the love of Christ, not advocating politics, not advocating policy. We're supposed to be out there telling people about you, Lord Jesus, and drawing them into the fold of God. Lord, will you help us by your spirit today understand what Paul then was up against and what his powerful message represents? Will you help us take this message and go to the people and share you with them so that they will turn from their wicked ways and turn back to you? Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. You will see a couple of books there, here in the New Testament, called First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. Paul, those are Paul's letters to the last city that I just read to you the name. Where there was a synagogue of the Jews, then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths, other words, three weeks, reasoned with them from the scriptures. Explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks or Gentiles, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Okay, he's, again, he's on his second missionary journey. He's coming on down through Macedonia. All right? And he's going to be going south. And he's preaching the gospel, and people are being saved. Let's read on. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There's another king, Jesus. You see, that's the ignorance of them. They just didn't know. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Taking security just simply means he paid a bail. Okay, you know how you get arrested? You got a bail's bondsman. 
come and you pay your bill and you go. That's just what that was saying. So they had to pay that in order to be released. So things are happening pretty rapidly. They're running into these hostile crowds because unbelieving Jews who refuse to believe that Jesus is the Messiah turn the crowds against Paul and them. Okay? That's what's taking place right now. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Bera. Now, can you imagine that Michael and Maurice, raise your hands, they're two brothers, raise your hand, Michael and Maurice, they're out, they're, they're representing Paul and Silas, and they're preaching the gospel, but your life has been threatened. And the remainder of the brothers in the city say, we got to get them out of here. So they use the stealth of the night to send them out, okay, to safety, to a town called Berea, which Paul had visited on his first missionary journey some time before. Then they went on down. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, meaning that they, they kind of had things together. All right? They were calm. How do we used to say in the army? Cool, calm, and collected? These were cool, calm, and collected people. They had it together upstairs. All right? And that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. All right, they weren't just taking their words, they were opening up the word of God and to see if it was true. And that's what that kind of thinking should not change today. You should not take any preacher's word, but open up the word of God and see for yourself, is what they're telling you is true. Amen? Yes, amen. Therefore, many of them believe, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well, as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Bera, they came there also and stirred up the crowd. Boy, Satan was out to get them brothers, wasn't he? They, I mean, can you imagine? Satan had a humming device on Paul. He wanted to take Paul out. So they went to Bera, they came there also and stood up the crowds, then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. Sometimes you got to leave a contingency behind so that the work of Jesus Christ can go on. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now, verse 16 is where the table turns. It's a good little trip by, by, by sea to get down to Athens. They arrive at the harbor there in Athens, and now Paul is now getting ready to walk around the city. He's by himself. Sometimes the Spirit will send you as a long ranger. Okay? And you're going to go into places that you're not going to be too familiar with. And you're going to be there and he's going to show you stuff. And when it's time for you to open your mouth to preach the gospel, you're going to preach the gospel with the power of God and people's lives are going to be changed. But however, in Athens, Paul had never faced anything what he was about to face. He just literally walked into the gates of hell. Can you imagine that? And as I was thinking about this throughout the night last night, can you imagine being surrounded by nothing but demonic forces, nothing but demons in the spirit world, 
all around you. Not just little demons, but we're talking about principalities, what we describe as major, powerful demon spirits. Strongholds throughout this entire city. Not just ones and twos. I'm talking about millions upon millions of demons. Because they want to protect these false gods. The names. They wanted that worship. Because people were not coming to worship the one true God. They were worshiping Satan by worshiping these demons. These false gods and these temples. And their behaviors in which they were doing was conducive to the type of worship that they were in. They had the bathhouses. And we all know what took place in bathhouses. Okay? Even in the marketplace. They had these little statues erected where you were going by food. There was no place. In fact, there were certain times in which of the day that certain bells would ring and people would go to these places and do whatever it is that they did to these false gods or before them. And not only that, when you get down, when Paul, when they take him to the Areopagus, this place was erected in such fineness that, Miss Marie, the people would come and they would leave gifts at the foot of this, this statue, this God. And they would leave gold and stuff and silver, diamonds and rubies. They would leave their life wealth at the foot of these places. And boy, and the Greeks made sure, Melissa, that these places was absolutely stunning. There was no place like them in the world. And they attracted people from all around the world. So it was a very stronghold. And if you look at modern day Greece today, modern day Greece is built around these places, these ancient places of worship of these false gods. There are still strongholds there today. However, in some places, there's still some scripture listen in even Paul's visit. Okay? And what he said to them is written on plaques in the city. So, verse 16, where are we? What's going on? Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, otherwise he's waiting for Timothy and Silas to arrive, his spirit was provoked, your Bible may say grieved or stirred up in him. When he saw that the city was given over to idols, what's an idol? False gods. False gods. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. This means that Paul, no matter where he was, he tried to persuade these people to come out of this stuff. And if he was in the marketplace, uh, if you walk out this door here, that would be considered the marketplace. Well, downtown High Springs. That's the marketplace. That's where people visit every day and conduct their business. Whether it's shopping, whether it's uh, exchanging money, whatever the case may be, that's the marketplace. So Paul, every day, for many days, walked up and down the streets telling people about Jesus. Trying to persuade them to turn away from these false gods, to turn to the one true and living God. But he has not yet faced what's coming up yet. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and, God, and the Gentile worshippers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicureans, remember I told you about the Epicureans? These are the group of uh, Greek philosophers who did not believe that man was created. They believed we evolved from atoms. 
and that we don't have to give an account to the gods because the gods have no influence over us. And that the body was made for pleasure. To do whatever you want to. If it feels good, do it. That's the line of thinking that the Epicureans had. It said, then certain Epicureans and Stark philosophers, the Storks, as I told you, they believed in many gods. They were, they were termed as a fancy word, pantheists. Okay, many gods. And also, um, one group did not believe in the resurrection. They believed once the soul died, that was it. There was no resurrection. Okay? And they encountered him. I'm still here on verse 18. And here's a statement what they says. And this is the part that really need to be taken heed to. What does this babbler wants to say? What does he mean? What did they mean by that? Babbler. Understand. Babbler was a small bird that would go and eat a little bit of here, a little bit of there, a little bit over there, and just kind of bounce around, Michael, just eating here and there. So what they were saying, Paul did not have the philosophy abilities that they had, that he didn't know what he was talking about. He was just a loose-tongued person just, just saying stuff, okay? And so now he's up against Greek philosophy now. Now he's going to have to deal with them. And notice as we get ready to unfold in this, in this book that Paul does not go about calling them stupid. He doesn't call them crazy. He, didn't only, he doesn't even tell them, you're going to hell. Watch how he handles these Greek philosophers. Because a lot of them were still under the school. Where's, where's Zorat? Raise your hand. You got psychology coming up in college, right? Okay, there's a person. A couple of them I'm going to name for you. Okay, Aristotle. They were from the school of Aristotle. And the other was from Socrates. Matter of fact, the place where they're going to take Paul to was the place that they killed Socrates. Where they had him drink the poison. They're the Areopagus. And so he's up against this style of thinking. Watch how he handles them. Is anybody confused yet? Little ones? Other words, people like to have fancy talk and they try to use words that you don't understand to confuse you, to keep you from changing. And then they get you by saying, this is true, come follow us. Is that making any sense to anybody? Is that okay with you, Michaela? Because I want to make sure even the youngest understand what this is. So what does this babbler say? Who is this man that's just running his mouth? Doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, others said he seemed to be proclaiming of foreign gods. Watch the language here. And understand the word of God as it unfolds before you. Because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Did you notice what they just did? They said that Paul, by him telling them about Jesus and the resurrection, was preaching two different gods. One god was Jesus and the other god was resurrection. But they go to show you how ignorant they were. They weren't as wise as they thought. So, instead of challenging them in their own philosophy, he uses their own philosophy to teach them. And that's what you have to do. 
Verse 19, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, to the temple of Zeus's son, where they would hold court at. Upon this 350-foot-high rock formation where this beautiful temple was erected. There, they will go and hash out all these issues. So now, they got Paul there. See, the devil think he have you when, you when he takes you to his turf. Okay? But Paul has the Holy Spirit of the living God in him. And so no devil in hell can stop this. What God had in store. God intentionally sent this man in the middle of all of that. Oh, I got one of you men on it. Verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Arapagus, saying, May we know what, it, what this new doctrine is of which you speak. New doctrine? Remember, these are Greeks. These are not Jews, so they don't know the gospel. They don't know the Old Testament. The gospel, folks, was not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the way to the end to the book of Revelation. The gospel at this time was from Genesis to Malachi. And the Greeks didn't know this. They didn't even know about the one true God. Letting on the people called the Jews and where they come from. So he's going to have to take his time and teach them. If he would have challenged them and called them crazy and things, he would have turned them off and they would have walked away. Now he's doing what with them? He's teaching them with their own cultural understanding. And that's what you have to do sometimes. When you go into different areas of our country, you just can't call people stupid and ignorant. you got to find out why they think the way that they think. So that you can give them the word of God so that they can see the truth and come to the light of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And that's what he's doing here. Verse 20. For you're bringing some strange things to our ears. Yes, I guess so. If they all they had to worship all of their lives for hundreds of years, this kind of teaching has been rampant in Greece. All they would have known is false worship. They wouldn't have known any better. That's why when Paul came with the true word of God from the one true God and his son Jesus, yes, it sounded strange. Yes, it was a foreign doctrine. So he's going to have to explain himself. And also, if you notice in chapter 17, Paul does not perform any miracles. This is all the power of God in the word of God. Verse 21. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time and nothing else but either to either to tell or to hear something new or some new thing. All right? And nothing better to do. And they were, I mean, they would spend hours and hours philosophizing over things in which, really? To them made a whole lot of sense, but to you and I, ah! Nothing. And when you take philosophy in college, it is a bunch of mama jumma jammed up stuff. But it's what people believe. And you're going to have to work through that stuff. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus. Right? And at least they were nice enough to give him what? Attention. 
They gave him room to talk to them. He now has their attention, Michael, of these great philosophers, these great minds of Greece. And they weren't dumb people now. You're talking about some of the sharpest minds in the world is now standing there listening to this man. So he said, men of Athens, okay? Notice, no insults. He's been very, very gentle with them. I perceive that in all things you're very what? Very religious. Why? He didn't go and assault them. Otherwise, I know you believe in a God or gods. Okay? You're looking for something higher than you. That's the starting point, right? For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, other words, the different temples and, and, and little stones and statues and all, okay, the things that people would go and do their little oblations to, he said, look, I, I, I see this. I even found an altar with this inscription. In other words, a place of worship. He said, I, I found an altar there that had this writing. To the unknown God. Uh-oh. Do you see what just happened? The Holy Spirit just gave Paul a doorway in. A doorway into their style of thinking. Into their way of life. Boy, the Spirit is really sharp, isn't he? It sure is. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. Uh-oh. <laughs> because they did not want to offend any other god that they didn't have listed. Remember, that's why they put this one statue there, this one altar that says to the unknown god. And Paul said, oh, oh let me tell you who he is. <laughs> okay? Sharp. Look, listen what he says. God, he say, I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, Stop. Freeze, everybody. God who made what? The world, the world and what? Yeah. Is that not a hit of the Epicureans? Who said that we came from atoms. Okay? The smallest molecules. They didn't believe that we were created. Did you see what he just did to them? He told them the truth, but yet slapped them in the face from their own understanding. He's now using what they believe in against them. Not in a bad way, but to get them now to see the truth. That there is a God. And he is the creator God. Probably thinking about Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and what? And the earth. Here you go, Epicureans. He's not a mystery. He's a reality. And you even say he's a reality. You just don't know who he is. Alright. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. What did he, do? What, what did he just hit at? Melissa? What did he just hit at, Heather? What did he just hit at? He said he don't need to be what? Confined where? He does not dwell, does not live in what? Temples made by who? Man or human hands. What did he just hit at? They're temples that they had their false gods erected in. So you can't take this God and put him in a building. He, he doesn't work that way. 
Boy, now he just shot at the Starks. Okay? Now he's dealing with both groups of philosophers. One said that there's no God. If he, are, he didn't create us. And Paul just said, oh, wait a minute. He's the one made the world and everything in it. Amen. And then now the other one going to believe in ecstatics that like to have everything beautified and put gods in temples. He said, and he doesn't dwell in temples made by human hands. Okay? Which goes back to what Jesus told the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, that God is a spirit. And that those that worship him must worship him how? In spirit and in truth. Okay? Boy, I, I, when I read it, I go, boy, look what Paul is doing by the Holy Ghost. With these great minds of his day. Then he goes on to tell him in verse 25, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Uh-oh. God don't need you to come worship him. People, God does not need us to worship him. I hear preachers preach all the time that God needed us to worship him. No, he doesn't. Paul just said it. You know what worship is for? Us. To come in the courts of the one who created us and sent his son to die for us. That's what worship is for. For us, not him. He doesn't need it. Because he's still the same God that he was before he created the human race. Amen? Amen. He came down to us. Not us going up to him. <laughs> creating him. Okay? Boy, I can see now some of them may be kind of steaming at this point, and maybe not. And other may go, whoa, we didn't know that. Verse 26. And here, <clears throat> Michael, Heather, Arve, Melissa, and everybody in here. I love talk, talking to them because they're our babies who just come back to visit us. <laughs> Listen, verse 26 is the hallmark of of creation that all men were created equal by God and for God that not one human is better than the other That's right. okay it's not about color black lives or white lives or any other lives no, it's man. all about God all lives matter all lives matter and here's what verse 26 says look at it very carefully and he made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. In other words, God took and made Adam. And from Adam, God produced the human race. Did you get that? And another, another uh, understanding that the Storts had, that they believed that we was all connected, that God lived in everything. So we're all gods. And there is a teaching of religion out there that says we're all gods. <coughs> but the word of God tells you differently. No, we're not. And that's what Paul is telling the Stort side of this group. He said, listen, uh, God took and created one blood. He created, so how could he be in everybody if he's the creator? But oh, he's going to deal with them even more severely here. Everybody follow me? Everybody okay? We're marching right along. 
<coughs> now, not only did he put everybody on the face of the earth, and he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Let me tell you, little Michaela, big Michaela, both of you. God has decided where you, when you would be born, and God decided where you would live. No matter how many times you may move, how many times you may make job decisions, no matter what you are in life, God has predetermined your date of birth, where you're going to be born, and where you're going to live. Amen. And we're going, what? And you cannot go outside of those boundaries, no matter what your level of thinking may be. You mean to tell me I was born in these United States because God wanted me to be born here? Yes. You mean to tell me I was born in, 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 the, century, in the 8th century A.D.? No, you were not born back then. God wanted you in the 20th and 21st century. That's why you're here now. You weren't born 2,000 years ago because God wanted you here now. Well, why wasn't I born in Jerusalem? Because God did not want you to be born in Jerusalem. Why are all the people in Africa suffering? You talk to God about that. They were born there because God put them there. At such a time as that. Why did God bring his son Jesus at that time? Paul said in the fullness of time. In other words, when time was right by God, he sent forth his only begotten son. So God get to pick and choose when you come, how you come, and where you come. And when you go. And when you go. Okay? That's what he's saying to them. Other words, starts and, and, and Epicureans, you don't get to control this. Neither does your false gods. Only the one true God determines men's destinations. And when they come, where they live, and when they leave. Other words, this was a slap in Zeus's face. Amen? And by the way, Eris, the Arapagus for, for Eris, Eris, not only was the son of Zeus, he was the god of war, god of destruction, god of blood. So that's why y'all read things about the Trojans and the, the mighty 300, all of those mythical movies and all, because their god, Eris, was the god of war, and they loved to fight. Yeah. Okay? Paul is slapping them all in the face saying, wait a minute. Only one God controls the destination of men. That's the one who created him. Amen? Amen. All right, going down a little bit further. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. All right. The Greeks didn't think the gods cared enough about men to be intimate with men, to get down on our level and really show care and concern about what happens to us. Okay? And their responsibility was to fear the gods all the time and be subservient to the gods and do what the gods said. The gods said, go chop that person's head off. You go and chop that person's head off to appease the god. If he said, go and have an affair, you go and have an affair to, plead, to appease that god. Whatever the requirement of what's so-called thinking of the god was needed, that's what they went and did. But the one true god here, he, Paul just said the one true god 
even though he's the creator God, the one who created everything, the one who set boundaries for the human race, he is not very far from you. And he has put in you the desire to want him, the desire to look for him. And they didn't even know that. They didn't even know that their line of thinking come from that desire that God had put in every human to look for him and to want him. They didn't know that. So in their minds, instead of seeking and searching for the, well, excuse me, the one true God, they was looking at many gods. And the vanity of their minds caused them to come up with all these different styles of gods. Okay? And so, that's God, that's God, that's God. Or if I need the God of agriculture, I just go to this one. By the way, y'all do know there's a God of agriculture, right? There's a God for the waters also. Are you aware of that? There's a, God, there's a sun God, there's an agriculture God, there's a God of fertility, other words for babies. Yes, uh, y'all aware of that? There are all kinds of gods, yes, yes, yes. But you know what, you can put all that together and there's one God that does all that. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of all creation, amen? God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he does not change. And so they, at this time, they finding it very hard to understand that of all the things that they seek their false gods for, it's all together in one God. The one true God. And he's not vain. He's not filthy either. He's holy. Okay? So, now, he's getting ready to quote to them some of their philosophers, some of their poets from the past. Here's a couple of things that he's going to point out to them. In verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our what? Our being or our existence. That's from their, one of their ports a couple of hundred years earlier had wrote that. But Paul is saying, uh-uh, the one true God, it is by him that we have our being and move about and exist. Okay? God allowed you to wake up this morning and do what you're able to do. God is the one that calls you to have breath. Each time you take in and your heart beats, it is God who's called you to live right now in the here and now. Okay? It is God who's going to raise you from the dead. He'll get to that part later. Now, at verse 28, not only did he tell them, he says, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said. For we are his offsprings. What's another way to say we are his offsprings? His children. He's the creator. Do you see how now he's turning their own philosophy and using it to teach them? To persuade them to come over to the one true God rather than having all these false gods? Oh, I can do that again. I feel like I'm dancing. <laughs> Let me stop, Lord. <laughs> okay, so... Genius? God is genius. Let's go on. Verse 29. Therefore, since we are the offsprings of God, okay, Mr. Uh, Epicureans and President Storch now, since we are the offsprings of God, 
We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold. What is he saying now? You should not have built the statue and think that he's a, a piece of stone, a piece of wood, a piece of gold, a piece of silver. You can't make God into that. That's not God. Or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Remember I told you, the word art means ecstatic, right? The, the Greeks were, no one did it better than them. If you go into a Greek Orthodox church, guess what you're going to see? I mean, it's laid out. You think the Roman Catholic got something Greek? Oh, the Vatican ain't got nothing on what the Orthodox Greeks have. Okay? And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You can't make God like that. You cannot make God like that. And Paul's letter to the Roman church that he would later write one of his last letters. In chapter 1 he said, you took the image you took and made an image of the one true God thinking that he could be a full-footed beast or something of the field or something of the air or something of the ground or something of the water and you worship that thinking that's the one true God. He said, you lost your minds. But he's, he's telling these Athenians in a more kinder way because he's really there to draw men, draw men to Christ. Okay? He's being very, very gentle with them. Just like we should be when we approach people who we know are living lifestyles that are different than ours, that's contrary to the Word of God. We need to tell them the truth, but we don't need to take the Bible and beat them across the head with it. Okay? Find out why they believe that they're that way, and then tell them, well, this is what God did. This is what he did by sending his son Jesus. And this is what he has for you. And in that, they will understand who the creator God is and him sending his son Jesus. Okay? Verse 31. Let me back up. Verse 30. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. Very powerful phrase there, isn't it? In these times of ignorance, God overlooked. Well, what does he mean by that? The Greeks just had built all this stuff and they've been worshiping it for hundreds of years. Paul called those times in which they've done this ignorance. To other words, God is not holding it against you because you didn't know any better. Because that's what ignorance means. Am I right, Michael? You didn't know any better. Some people believe they were born gay. They don't know any better because and now they live in a society that, that, that stimulate that kind of thinking. And say, oh yeah, God made, made me that way. And, and God doesn't get mad because you're loving somebody else. Because God is love. And they've been deceived and they've been taught by a culture that's, that's a false. False teaching. False thinking. And so you got to sit and listen to them. Say, okay, why do you feel that way? Where'd you get that from? Homosexuality is a learned behavior. It's not a genetic thing. Yes. Just like having an affair with somebody's wife. That's not a biological thing. That's a thing that a man conjured in his mind. Or a woman that he wanted to do. Same thing though, if I'm going to go and steal that man's truck. Stealing is a choice. I wasn't born to steal. I wasn't born to be a, uh, what do they call it? Hypochondriac? <laughs> I was not born, or uh, kleptomaniac. I wasn't born to set things on fire. 
Pyro. A pyromaniac. Uh, yeah, I got it wrong. <laughs> Thank you. Sin is sin. All of the above. Say again? Sin is sin. Yeah, sin is sin. It's choices that men make. And so Paul, Paul is saying that, listen, God overlooked these spirits in which you've done these things. Okay? Why? Why? Why did God overlook these things? But now commands all men everywhere to do what? To do what? Repent. Come on, look at your text. To do what, everybody? God commands men everywhere to repent. Chains come out of sin. Stop doing this, you Greeks, you Epicureans, you Stoics, and whoever else is listening. God wants you to stop this false worship. Living a life that's wrong before him. Change. Come out of it. And that is the object of preaching the gospel, is to get men and women to repent. Stop what they're doing. Come out of drugs. Come out of being drunk all the time. Come out of stealing. Come out of killing. Come out of being racist. Come out of being bigotry. Come out and live for Jesus. Amen. That's what this, this is all about. It's not about for you to stay and feel comfortable in your sins. That's not what this is all about. God is not here to justify your sin. If that's the case, he would have never sent the Apostle Paul to these people. That's right. He's here to love you and show you the way of salvation. Okay, come out. Come out and change and live for him by accepting his son Jesus. And he's going to get to that part here in just a second. This is actually going faster than I had anticipated it to. And to God be the glory. And so in verse 30, look at it very hard. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. A lot of times before we heard the gospel, did you know that before God saved you that your life was wrong before God? I didn't. I thought everybody died and went to heaven. I really did. I thought everybody was a Christian. I didn't know any difference until I heard the gospel at the age of 23. I did not know what sin was. I, I'm, honestly, I'm telling you the God's truth. I thought Jesus loved everybody. I didn't even know he had died on a cross. I heard people talking about that stuff when I was little. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know he was beat beyond recognition. I didn't know he breathed his last breath and went in this place called hell and conquered death in the grave. I didn't know any of that stuff. I didn't know there was going to be a day of judgment where all men would stand before God and give an account for his life or her life. I did not know these things. I thought everybody was in good standing with God. But oh, when somebody brought the truth to me, I realized I was in deep trouble. Big trouble. Yeah, baby. You go, boy. But the word of God opened my eyes to the truth. How I really stood before God. And that's what Paul is doing here. These men didn't know. He wasn't there to condemn them. That's not his position. He was there to give them the truth so that they can take them form, take the knowledge of God and make an informed decision to come out of sin by coming to God's son, Jesus. That is the object of preaching the gospel and teaching it to every man, woman, boy, and girl. That should be all of our goals, not to go out there and hammer people because of their lifestyles, but to get them to see, based upon the word of God, hey, this is not right. God has a better place for you. Okay? 
God is calling you out because he loves you. And this is the price that was paid his son upon the cross. Huge price. No human can pay such a price. Okay? But God's son did. Let's go on through this. We're just about finishing, little ones. And then, he's really going to hit them hard about the resurrection. This God, so-called the resurrection. Okay? Look at verse 31. He said, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Now, remember earlier they said that he was preaching a strange doctrine. He came with some foreign words, okay? Because he had preached this Jesus in the resurrection. Yeah. And now they went, what? Now this really is going to get on both the Epicureans and the Storch. It's going to step on their toes. You know why? Because the Storch believed that the, the body was no, there was nothing good in the body. So when it died, that was it. That there's no accountability. So did Epicurean going, what? You mean to tell me this God raised a human being from the dead? He bring a person back from the dead? Oh, yeah. Verse 32, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. What does that mean? They laughed. He's out of his mind. Crazy. <laughs> He's crazy. What do you mean? Because you know what? Their gods have never done it. I guess, I guess so. They were false gods. They kept bringing it back from the dead. How can a rock or a piece of gold bring somebody back from the dead? They can't. And they fought these fictitious names that they gave them. Zeus and Hamus and, and Ares and Diana and, and, and Epidotus and all the other names that they gave these false gods. But merely imaginations of men's minds. But the one true God called a man first back from the dead. His name was Lazarus. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And had he not called Lazarus by name, guess what would have happened if he had said, come forth. Every dead person from eternity past would have stepped out of the tomb and said, hey, we're here. Okay. Ooh, what a day that would have been, huh? But Jesus does tell us. In John chapter 5, that there is a day coming where he, the Son of God, will call to the dead. And those that are in the grave will come forth. And he says, some to the resurrection of reward and others to the resurrection of condemnation. In other words, they're going to the lake of fire. And he said, on that day, he will judge the human race. Not God. But Jesus, okay? Jesus is the one that will do this. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul just told them there is going to be a day of judgment. And this one whom God raised from the dead will be the one judging you. That's what he was standing there telling the Epicureans and the Storks. This one that you just marked, he's going to judge you. And none of, the, none of their gods have done that and can't do that. Okay? Mm -hmm. 
So when they heard this, some marked while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. He must have shook something up in him, right? We want more information. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed among them Dionysus, the Agapegite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Folks, the object of preaching the gospel is to let people know that God created them. And the God who created them also provided for them. He laid everything out in this world for us. And not only is he God who provided, but he's the God who also sent his son Jesus to die for us. And not only to die, but he raised his son from the dead. Jesus must be the center of the gospel always when we share it with people. Without Jesus, there is no salvation. And so we must tell and we must take our time not be in a hurry to try to get a so-called conversion. Okay? There's a group of folks who've done that over the years and realized that that was a huge mistake. Get people to say a little prayer so we can chalk numbers up. And do a little baptism, chalk numbers up. Salvation comes when the heart is changed by the Spirit of God. Amen. Okay? And that person truly turns from sin by turning to Jesus. Understanding that there's going to be a day of judgment, as Paul explained to those Epicureans and those Stoics, believers, philosophers. And it says, you will stand in judgment. But God sent his son Jesus, who died for all. And this is that. And he will finish this with them. And so... I can only imagine Paul living of our day. Can you imagine Apostle Paul being here today? What if Paul arrived, showed up today, and began to preach in our streets, and began to preach in our churches? I wonder how he would be received. People, the first thing they would say to Paul, probably, he's not politically correct. Okay? They would say to Paul, you're out of your mind. Because one of the things that he would later tell a young preacher by the name of Timothy, he said, Timothy, to every one of them that sin, you rebuke them sharply in front of others so that the other ones who are listening would fear also and not sin against the one true God and his son Jesus. Now, we did that in the church today. First of all, y'all would try to run me out. I don't have to worry about that because y'all don't believe that way. Because if you do wrong, guess what's going to happen? We're going to tell you. If I don't tell you, Miss Nelson will tell you. If I don't tell you, she'll tell you. If I don't tell you, he'll tell you. If I don't tell you, she'll tell you. Somebody, Miss Marie, definitely going to tell you. Okay? So somebody going to tell you here. Look, you messed up. However, God is love. Jesus is love. The Holy Spirit has helped you here to change and fix your eyes back on Jesus. Okay? And, and, and that's, that's what all of this is about. Not to make people feel bad about their sin. Well, if, if you make them feel bad, that's fine with me. Because I'd rather have them feel bad and come to Jesus and feel good and go to hell. Okay? Does that make any sense to you? So, as we close out, Oh, praise God. We get to finish a half an hour early today. <laughs> Folks, 
a very difficult sermon. I, I can all imagine what this brother went through. Especially when he was there by himself. He was a lone warrior of God in a city that was plagued with idolatry. And yet he had the armies of heaven surrounding him in the spirit world. Jesus protected Paul. And he had the word of God, the sword of the spirit. Okay? And he went forth. And he brought forth the gospel to a people who was meant for destruction. Other was judgment. And God that day, as we see, he gained some sons and some daughters, didn't he? Yeah. Amen. And he's, and he's still gaining some sons and some daughters. Any questions, anybody? Where's Marquise at? Oh, he had to go to, our pianist had to go to work. But you can play some good stuff. Can you play a soft song? I know you can. It's been a while. But the Holy Ghost will give you what you need. As we close out, I do want you to think. What kind of belief did you have growing up? And if those beliefs are still causing you not to come to Jesus right now and to completely live for God. The men of Athens didn't know any better because no one had told them about the one true God. But God cared about them. And he did send the man of God to them for the sole reason to rescue them out of sin, out of adultery, and to bring them into the marvelous light of his son Jesus, because he cares. And Jesus was interceding for them from heaven. He was praying to the Father that these men and women of Athens would listen to his servant who was down there preaching under the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul came with the wisdom of the Holy Ghost as he was taking on a group of the finest minds of Greece and ultimate of the world of that day. And he didn't have to be a great Greek philosopher. What he had was the wisdom of God that surpasses the wisdom of men. And that's what he came with. And as a result, everybody, men and women, surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you right now, with every head bowed, I want you to think, what God in your life is stopping you right now from surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? It's not all right, folks, to walk around in sin. It is not before God. It really isn't. Doesn't matter what the sin is, it is not okay with God. But it is okay with God if you come to Jesus. Because that's what He wants. Every head bow, I want you to think right now. Are you really okay with God by having Jesus? And if you are with Lord Jesus, and I'm not saying that you're not, have you truly surrendered your life 
to Christ, every aspect of your life. I don't care what it is. He also knows what you do in secret. Have you surrendered the secret part of your life to Christ? I want to read to you real quick as she's playing a small, small verse from the book of Psalms written by King David. In Psalms 19, here's what David said to God. Listen very carefully to the word of God in Psalms 19. As David closed the Psalms out, here's what he said. He said, keep, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. In other words, don't let sin be paramount in his life. Not only that, he said, but let them not have dominion over me. Lord, I don't want sin to be controlling me. That's what David was saying. Dominion means control. To have lordship, to have rulership over someone. David was saying to God, Lord, don't let sin have control over me. And he also says, then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgressions. That's the purpose of the gospel. That was the purpose of Jesus coming. So that sin will no longer have control over your life. And I mean sin, I'm talking about every aspect of it. No matter how big or how small, Jesus doesn't want sin in your life at all. He wants you to give it to him. But Lord, I'm afraid my body may act, if you're a drug addict, some say, well, I can't give it the drug because I may act like that. God is able to heal your body from withdrawals. And he's able to get you through them if he decides for you to go through it. If it's alcohol, God is able to take the alcohol from you and dry it up so that you'll never desire it again. If it's fornication, if you just got to have sex with a girl, God was able to control those urges, those desires. He would dry that up in you or with a man, whichever, a girl with a man, whatever way. He's able to take control of that. The spirit of God is able to do that and clean your life up by the blood of Jesus so that you don't have to worry about these illicit desires before God again. And I'm a living witness. I didn't know any of this stuff. And look at me now, 32 years later, almost 33 years, this year will be the 33rd year that the Lord saved me. Look at my life now. God, by Jesus, have cleaned me up. I was a mess and didn't know it. But I thank God for Jesus. Amen. I thank God that men and women came and gave me the gospel. And they stayed on me. And they loved me like Paul was loving the men of Athens. He loved those men. He didn't condemn them. So Jesus is here. Is anyone right now want to tell God, we're the family of God. He will pray with you. We're not going to laugh at you. We're not going to mock you. We'll pray. We'll surround you and love you and help you. Saying, Lord Jesus, she's your daughter. He's your son. By your blood, break this addiction, break this habit, break this lifestyle. Is this person surrender his or her life back to you? If that's you, come on up. The Holy Spirit is here to help you. I assure you, he does not embarrass people. He loves people. Yes, Greg. Can we pray about God trying to take the step of him away from me? Yes. Yes. I will pray for Greg's sickness. Is there anything else? Anybody else? Because the Spirit of Christ is present. He's here to help you. He loves you. 
That's why he sent men and women to preach the gospel. That's why he sent folks to lay on hands to help for the glory of Christ to be in you, who's the hope of glory. That's why. So with that said, I want everybody now to come and pray with Greg. Come on. Big grab that oil. Dick and Amelia, come on forward, please. Support the show. Come on. We're, going, we're the family of God. Come forth. And we're going to pray. Since he came and asked God. Come on. No, you're going to do it. You'll do it. It's all right. On the job training right now by the Holy Ghost. Come on. Surround him. God, Jesus loves this man. Truly, Jesus loves this man. Come on. Babies, I want y'all to walk closer. And I want y'all to hold Greg's, Greg's hands. Reach out and grab his hands. Let him feel that love. Let him feel that love. Come on around here, Brandy. Come on around this way. I want y'all to get as close as you can to him. Let this man feel the love of God. Come on. Come on. The word of God says, is, is there any sick among you? If so, let him call for the elders of the church. And let them anoint his head with oil. By laying on hands. And let him pray for him. And it says that if he have sinned, his sins will be forgiven him. And his illness, he will be healed. And it said, and the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That means God will hear our prayers. Amen? Amen. So you're one of the elders of the church. He's one of the elders of the church. So, and anoint his head with oil. Put it in your hand. The word anoint means to smear. Go ahead and put it in your hand. There you go. It's all right. He may fuss, but go ahead. Anoint his head with oil. There you go. Rub it on. That's what it means to cover. That's right. To cover it. And now we're going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we submit Greg to you. Lord Jesus, Greg belongs to you. You died on the cross for his sins. And by your stripes, your bleeding stripes, he's healed. Emphysema, we command you in the name of Jesus, depart from his body right now. Lungs, be restored in Jesus' name. Glory to God. That's all we got to do. Say the prayer of faith it heals this man. Thank you. Is it you going to close out? Yeah. Or Brother Miller? It don't matter. Okay. Father, we thank you for this awesome word, Father. We thank you that you showed us a way to salvation. And we thank you that you have made us all believers, Lord. And I would like to read. Your word says, My sons, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. For the length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write mm -hmm. them on the tablet of your heart. 
and so find favor on high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your, your path. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this word. And be with your children the rest of the week, Lord, until we come back and praise you. May we do that every day at home, Lord, wherever we're at, no matter where we're at, on the highways, on the byways, no matter where, no matter where, Lord. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.